Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is going to be a real fun one, I think, today. Um, yeah, as always, uh, my name is Maria. My pronouns are she and her. And my name is Alyssa. Pronouns also she and her. And today we are going to delve into the topic of William Shakespeare's sexuality. Um <laughs> And yes. just how little we actually know about it um, and about Shakespeare as a whole. Um, I do want to start this off uh, by discussing some of the issues of historiography, which is that um, we don't really know a whole lot about Shakespeare's life um, that is directly uh, attestable in the primary sources, which is really odd. Like, like you would think that the bard, as he is, would be better documented than he actually is for for, for right. someone he was he was pretty like i mean he was well known in his lifetime too right yeah no like he he was extremely well known in his own lifetime and of course immediately after um like don't get me wrong we like we have an absolutely just gigantic corpus of his work uh, especially in comparison to other writers uh, especially contemporary writers but we we don't know when he was born we don't know his actual birthday why did no one write about this? Come on, if he was, yeah, I feel like if everyone knew about him, why not? Yeah, but like there's just so many issues of, of historiography and, and primary source attestation and all this other fun stuff. So um, we'll, we'll kind of touch on that. I'll try and stay out of the minutia because it will bog this episode down enough as it is. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get started, I suppose. So... Um, let's go ahead and talk about William Shakespeare and, you know, what we do know about him. Um, so to start things off, William Shakespeare is born in April of 1564, we think. Um, <laughs> where, where does that come from? Why so do we think? The closest thing we have to a birth record, the closest thing we have to a birthday, I should say, for William Shakespeare is a baptismal record that dates to... April 26th of 1564. Okay. Um, which, and, there, and there's been a couple interpolations that have been made by people who are much, much better uh, Shakespearean scholars than I am. I am not a scholar of Shakespeare by any, um, any metric. <laughs> Basically, um, it's been kind of just decided based on like some evidence and stuff like that, that his birthday was maybe April 23rd. Um, and that's, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Um, one reason is that baptism usually is fairly close to a birthday in this period, um, just because, you know, like, uh, leftover, um, baggage, if you will, from, from Catholicism, where like, you know, oh no, unbaptized souls go to, go to limbo and he or hell or whatever, and it's horrible and blah, 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 blah. Right, so, so you, you have know. to get them baptized, like, right after they're born, yeah, in case gotta, they die. To, to quote Dogma here, gotta get them while they're young. <laughs> But, and, and I think this is kind of funny from, again, the historiography point of view, uh, the reason, one of the main reasons why we, we point to his, his birthday being April 23rd is because um, he dies on April 23rd in 1616, which would make him exactly 51. And some, some scholar in like probably the, like the 19th century, I, I want to say it was in the 19th century, just decided that, oh, well, you know, this is a nice little bow on this package. So let's just roll with it. And, and that's why <laughs> Shakespeare was born on April 23rd. Uh, okay. Also, it seems pretty fucked up to die like on your birthday. That's, I mean, I don't know. yeah. 
I mean, it's a shit birthday, but it's real good for us historians because we can say, oh, yeah, it's 51. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's poetry. It's poetry for the poet. Oh, um, that's nice. Yes. You're right. So, um, so, yeah, of course, you know, he is born in Stratford-upon-Avon, Stratford I should say, and all this other fun stuff. He goes to grammar school. He learns Latin and stuff like that. He goes off to become a playwright. and uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> there, we, we know the broad strokes, and that's really all we need to know for this, I think. Um, because we're not worried about the broad strokes, we're worried about the minutia of his life. Yeah, we're worried about the cool parts where you know he was maybe writing sonnets for men. That's that's what yes. we care about. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and lay out some evidence about some stuff that we do know about him. For starters, he married Anne Hathaway uh, on November twenty seventh of fifteen eighty two. Wait, Anne Hathaway? Yes. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Yes. Um, she is a lady of some means, not a whole lot. She's not like high nobility or anything like that, but she's, she's, her family's got some money and everything like that. And his family, they, they were, they weren't doing all that great. He marries her again in November of 1582. Uh, and at the time of the marriage, she is already three months pregnant. Oh, which, which we'll, we'll get into in just a second here, but there's a lot of real fun interpretations and one can make here um but anyway so his first child is born six months later followed by two more he moves to london full-time three years after marrying her and spends almost all of his time in london um we do have some without her i assume she doesn't move to london with him yes she stays in the home in stratford I'm just going to call Stratford because I can't be asked to do Stratford yeah, upon Avon yeah. every time. Sorry. Too long. Um, yeah. Uh, she stays there pretty much the entire time. Uh, we don't have any attestations of her actually visiting London. Um, we oh. do have, however, him visiting Stratford once a year. But for the entire period of 1585 to 1613, he is he is a Londonite or Londoner, I should say. And he spends his time there almost exclusively unless he's out on on tour with his company. And she and as far as we know, there's no attestations of her going to visit him. Huh. Okay. He does at after his retirement, he spends the last three years living with her. So um, again, there's some inferences we can make there as well. I do have a source by an R. Brian Parker who says he, he kind of presents this idea of a, quote, a hurried, perhaps even shotgun marriage to a woman considerably older than himself, uh, whom he had made pregnant. And that though the couple may have reconciled later in life, theirs was by no means a companionate marriage. I mean, isn't that literally the definition of a shotgun marriage? Like she was already pregnant and right. A shotgun marriage is her father marching him down the aisle with a shotgun because I, I, I don't I don't know the accessibility of, of, of shotguns in, in this period. I don't well, know how yes, widespread okay. firearms are, but otherwise, I, I mean, if if they were, I'm sure this would definitely be uh, an instance of exactly that. Yeah. Um, though we don't know for sure. But I mean, again, there are some kind of small little bits in the in the registries that we can kind of look at that kind of give us this idea that this is the case. Um, again, the marriage is very, very quick. There are I, I, it's something like there's a smaller number of witnesses than is normal. A um, mm. couple of other different things that kind of give us an idea that this may not have been necessarily um, s- how do I put this? It was probably a little bit, hey, do this or or there's going to be problems for you. So 
I mean, if they lived apart, did they not, do we not have any record of letters between them or did they just like not write letters to each other? Um, not that I found, though, full disclosure, I wasn't really looking for those. Right. Um, yeah. Because that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and again, like there is a lot of kind of just, there's not a lot of objectivity that we can point to here in this case, because like. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, as you well know. Right, right. But I, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it's not as far away as like Caesar, right? So I would think that maybe someone would have noted like, oh, yes, and they never Hmm. wrote letters to one another. You know, I, as Shakespeare's great friend, heard him all the time talk about how, oh, yeah, I see my wife once a year and we don't talk other than that or something. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, like, they're... Everything here is a matter of interpretation, and we're going off of context. We don't have anything explicitly saying in Shakespeare's hand, you know, oh, I don't actually love my wife. I just <laughs> did all this to, to, like, you know, move the family line and, like, have inheritors and all this other shit. I'm actually, like, into guys and da-da-da-da-da-da. We don't right. have any of that explicit because, right. A, again, um, the, the crime of buggery does exist in this period and is punishable by hanging. Yeah. Um, though, interestingly, I found out that that is actually not a very... We don't see that punishment actually happening very commonly. Um, uh, unfortunately... Is it because like, people were, like, very quiet about their buggery or, like, I mean... There's a couple... There's a couple of... A couple of inferences we can make here. Um, either that, A, it was not very well enforced that it was kind of on the books because of moral reasons, but like moral laws don't necessarily get prosecuted with the same vigor that like, you know, capital offenses do uh, right. for, for obvious reasons. Um, of course, the other option is that it was not nearly as prevalent, which no, that one does not hold water <laughs> with me at all. Yeah, no, don't buy it. Yeah. Um, the third option is that people were really good at hiding it because of social mores and of course you know different interpretations of what constituted as buggery um okay so that's that that one is kind that one does have a little bit of merit to it and of course the other option is that we just don't have the evidence um which is always there always present when we're dealing with any of these historical figures no matter how far back they are yeah yeah problems in history hooray it's so much fun (laughs) Yeah, evidence and fact finding is uh is its whole thing. Its whole own thing. That's yes. why people get degrees in this stuff, because it mm-hmm. can be difficult. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, so let's kind of move on to what we do have. Um so again the theory is the theory as it is being presented at least, is that Shakespeare might have been bisexual. Um we don't think he was outright homosexual or gay, whatever term you want to use for this period, but we think Based on this evidence, and again, this is according to the theory, we'll, we'll cover whether or not this theory is true or false at the end of the episode, because uh, it builds the drama. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no spoilers here. You, you yes. have to stick around. Yes, we, yes. But, like, the, the question here is whether or not he was bisexual or not. And really, our main kind of, of I guess, teaser tidbit, if you will, is mostly the sonnets. And specifically, it is the first section of the sonics, sonnets, rather, sonics, um, the sonics. Yes. (laughs) 
I'm going to try and go fast. Um, <laughs> the Sonnets, which, uh, of course, are a series of poems written in an Italian style. Blah, 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 blah. Wikipedia. I, I don't. Yeah. But the first 126 of them are known as the Fair Youth or the Fair Lord, depending on your terminology. Sonnets. Uh, again, there's 126 of these. I mean, why? So what are the arguments for them either being fair youth versus fair lord does he use one term more than the other within the sonnets or i i think it's just a, a manuscript difference to be honest with you because of course there's several different manuscripts of this uh, um okay. lot there is like we have to deal with some censorship there is some straight washing going on here where mm. in in all there's actually entire editions for entire decades that someone went in and actually rewrote all of the like fair youth sonnets to be addressed toward a woman um because oh. because because christ forfend we deal with any sort of kind of problems in in interpretation <laughs> in poetry did they like, so did they like change pronouns or something yes. how did, oh jesus oh, yeah they just just dead ass changed pronouns changed lord come to lady on. all kinds of wonderful stuff like that um, thankfully okay. that was a fairly short, at least from a historian's point of view, a fairly short period and that did get changed back relatively quickly. And again, it was only like a couple specific editions and publishers that I was able to find. And again, everything, all I'm going to tell you has the caveat of from what I could find. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So does that mean that like we actually have some versions of manuscripts in Shakespeare's own hand that use fair lord and he, him pronouns? Um, no, <laughs> it's the, sh okay. it's the short answer is no, we, okay. we have remarkable, <laughs> we like, we have remarkably little in Shakespeare's own handwriting and, oh, okay. um, from what I could tell, almost none of it is actually verifiably his own handwriting. We don't know what oh. his signature looked like for the most part. Yeah. I feel like I remember, you know, this comes up in the arguments about like who really wrote Shakespeare and whatever, because yeah, yeah, we, yeah right. There's that, there's that whole uh, controversy as well. Yes. It's, it's a mess. It really is. I hate to say it. Um, I mean, there are, of course, I'm sure a, a little bits of evidence we can find here and there, but for the most part, there's nothing really absolutely authoritative that says like, you know, this is the one definitive manuscript written in his own hand that is most assuredly his with no changes whatsoever and a discussion it does not exist right um including the very first edition of the sonnets which oh. we do have okay so let's let, let's get into the meat so the let's. sonnets themselves open up with a dedication to one mr wh and this and is, so is this like the the first edition it says dear mr wh or something yes and there's there's a lot of there's a bit of controversy behind this as well um of course for a number of reasons like i said of course um the uh differences in manuscripts the date of publication the dedication like it's i'm gonna be honest with you it's a mess of course <laughs> just digging yeah, into all of this yeah oh i know i know the mess you can get into once you start digging into things it's yeah yes it doesn't become clearer it becomes more complicated mm. So, so let's start with the dedication itself. Um, I'm going to spare you all my attempt at Shakespearean pronunciation. You're all welcome. No one wants to hear that. Um, least of all me when I edit this. Yeah, I mean, also, we would like to be able to understand what's going on. 
Um, <laughs> I would yes. like to be able to understand so that I can actually ask questions about it. <laughs> um, and of course, links to everything will be in our show notes because we are, um, you know, thorough, if nothing else. Yeah. So the sonnets open up with a dedication to one Mr. W.H. Uh, in full, the dedication is to the only begetter of these ensuing sonnets, Mr. W.H. All happiness and all that eternity promised by our ever-living poet wisheth the well-wishing adventurer in setting forth. T.T. What? T.T.? What's T.T.? I'm glad you asked. So TT is <laughs> TT is the initial are the initials of Thomas Thorpe, who is the publisher of this manuscript. And that in and of itself kind of already we have a problem because this publicate this this publish words. This edition, there's the word, <laughs> is uh, signed by the publisher and not by the poet, which is not uncommon, but definitely irregular. Oh, so are other editions not signed by TT? Well, not 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 so much. Um, in in this period, most times the writer is the one that does the dedication, signs it, and everything else like that. Uh, unless they are out of the country or out of the area, as it were, on business matters, and have been kind of um, designated by the author to do so, which okay. is definitely a possibility here. Um, of course, the other possibility that we need to recognize is that um these the sonnets may have been published without his permission oh um which is the other uh instance where the publisher signs it and dedicates it and not the (laughs) author i just want to say that if if this if anyone can hear this my dog was just sniffing the mic so if you heard some snuffling that was luna (laughs) she came over and she was like will you pet me and i was like i'm busy and she was like fine i'm gonna just nose all over your mic thanks dog (laughs) Dogs are wonderful. I'm again, still listening. Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. Uh, uh, again, uh, to to the rest of you uh, in the audience, uh, sorry, our pets are absolutely allowed to uh, join yeah. in. Yeah, that's they they don't know better. They're like, what are you doing? This is confusing. All yes. I yeah, I'm gonna get in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, so there's the first problem just right there at the dedication. The other problem is we don't know who the fuck Mister Wh is. Right. Okay, so I want to clarify also, that's a problem, I'm, I'm guessing here, um, it, because, like, couldn't, you know, that whole dedication to Mr. WH just be by TT, the publisher, right? Yes, that is entirely yeah. possible. Yeah. And this problem kind of shows up throughout the entirety of all of our, our analyses of the sonnets, and especially with regards to their kind of evidence as... Um, as to the actual sexuality of Shakespeare. So that is something we definitely need to keep in mind, is that we don't know to whom these sonnets are actually dedicated. Uh, And the other problem is we don't know who the fair youth is. But the fair youth is sometimes called fair lord, right? In certain... Um, Yeah, uh, to be be clear, the fair lord... The the fair lord I I only saw in like one or two instances. Fair youth is, is almost like... 99% 99% the correct uh, terminology okay. here. I, okay. I just included that for the sake of, of, of you know, completion's sake. Again, the, the issue are, the, the two main issues we have to deal with here in terms of attestation and all that is A, we don't know who WH is, and B, we don't know who the fair youth is. For our purposes, we are going to kind of treat the two as the same 
um, which to be fair is a little bit of reaching, but you know, bear, bear with me. Yeah. I was going um, to say, can you please uh, justify why we're doing that? Yes. So the reason we're doing that is a, um, it's fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Come on. Uh, and B and B there, uh, this, this is kind of the, the accepted scholasticism is that it is, if it, if the fair youth is a real person, that it is probably the same WH. Um, and we'll actually get into why that is in, in just a okay, second. Okay, yeah, thank you. But, I, would, I would like that. But we have to kind of kind of make this connection and kind of just take it at faith, at face value for, for the moment, just because the other option is an entirely different episode. Oh, so this, okay. is all, this is all kind of just based on this theory and why this theory exists. Okay. As to how much stock to put into the theory, that's, uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so let's just kind of like on, based on the conception that the fair youth and WH are the same person, let's talk about who the possibilities of WH are for, for purposes of citations and all that. I had to dig really deep into Wikipedia because again, I don't know much about Shakespeare. I don't know as much about Shakespeare as I, as I might, I, I, might be expected to or maybe that 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 i might should if a part of my full southern you you know more than i do um Um, we'll see and and you you already know more than i do um yeah but this is okay so uh what was i going to ask oh yeah so when we we start trying to clarify the identity of mr wh um is it like widely accepted in you know, people who are actually getting degrees in Shakespeare's life or whatever, um, like that Mr. W.H. and the fair youth are likely the same person. And therefore, we want to try to figure out who Mr. W.H. is to try. Like, has someone written, written? <laughs> oh, my God. Has someone written their dissertation on, I don't know, Mr. W.H. and Shakespeare being... Maybe into men. Oh God, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> oh okay, Lord okay, okay. Oh my okay, God, there's good, so good. much. Um, so, so there's yeah, there's a lot of like actually fully researched uh, ivory tower academic people who are like, yeah. oh yeah, no, Shakespeare definitely into dudes for sure. Yeah, no, this 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 isn't some like Infowars like level of like ex- <laughs> of like inference and extrapolation here. Like there's actual like documentation and, and evidence and citations and primary sources and analyses and all this other cack that kind of helps us <laughs> say that yes, all right, this is in fact actually something to which is worth actually spending an hour of of our time. Okay. Okay. And and there are people who, you know, have had professors be like, oh, yeah, this is a reasonable thing to defend as a thesis. Sure, you can. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. There is li- <laughs> like literally um, there is an entire academic journal article that I started basically with um, after the Wikipedia phase that is literally just dedicated to how to teach Sonnet 20 with relation to its homoeroticism. Nice. Um, it's is a that, really good read. Is that going to be linked in the show notes? It absolutely will. And I'm very awesome. happy to say that because of the hell world that is 2020, it is actually free if you have a JSTOR account, uh, which is also free to sign up for. Fuck yeah. Um, 
So, hooray, slightly open access. We'll take it. We will take yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's somewhat. Um, I mean, a free yeah. having to sign up for a free account is is better than a lot of things. Yeah. Um so that 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 article is entitled uh uh was Shakespeare gay? Sonnet 20 and the politics of pedagogy. Uh it's a real right. fun read. And uh please note I said pedagogy. Very important <laughs> distinction there. Y- yes, yes. Ago oxo to lead. Um, is our root word there. <clears throat> I did have to look that up. Please don't at me. Um, <laughs> anyway, back to the actual topic here. So we have a couple of different theories on who WH could be. The two leading contenders are first, William Herbert, who is the third Earl of Pembroke. Uh, the second is Henry Rossley. I think I'm saying that right. Maybe not. Who is the third Earl of Southampton. Uh, and then at least seven other possibilities that were menti- mentioned in the Wikipedia article. Oh my god, okay. Um, I'm not going to be talking about those other seven, uh, simply because A, um, there are only so many hours in a week, <laughs> uh, and B, the, the documentation that I was able to find wasn't as good as I'd like. So I'm going to tell you who they were, and I'm going to kind of just move on from it because there's not as much evidence there as I would like to be able to, to actually present this um, in, in, in full. Sure. So let's start with those seven. All right, the first and foremost theory of those seven is that it is a printer error and the sonnet should have been dedicated to Mr. W.S., which is, of course, William Shakespeare, which would mean oh. that the okay. poems are dedicated to Shakespeare by the publisher. Okay. Which means that WH and the fair youth are not the same person. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that theory because A, it's boring. <laughs> uh, yeah, this and, is a gay show, all right? We want to talk about the yeah. gay parts. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, sorry. The, the straights have enough. Yeah, it's our you, turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, um, I don't like that theory because it's, uh, while Occam's razor is real good for the most part, uh, I didn't like, I don't, I don't, the attestations and of, of this, while they make sense, it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's unsatisfying intellectually, <laughs> but it's unsatisfying intellectually. Well, also, that's like a pretty, like, I know there's typesetting errors, but that's like a pretty big one. Like, I feel like you get your dedication page right. Like, right? Like, yeah. if you want it to be to William Shakespeare, you're like, wait, who, who's this WH? No, S. Shakespeare. Come on. Yeah. Redo and, it. Like, I, I know typesetting is a whole thing and they may run out of letters and so all, and all that crap. But I don't think that's the case here, um, especially in this in this period. Like, if, if this was closer to like like Gutenberg, then maybe. But it's it's, you know, these are these are being published in like the 1600s at this point uh i i I think we're okay yeah i I think we got enough letters to get an s in there so i don't like that um i will tell you however that this is a theory that bertrand russell um supported but that's that's as far as i'm willing to go with that because there's just so much to go with okay um another theory that i saw was that this the wh is william hall uh who was a printer that worked with thomas thorpe and and the credence here is that, you know, the, the dedication again says to Mr. W.H. all happiness. There's periods in between all these little words. Um, so it's entirely possible that that got shoved over and it should be to Mr. W. Hall. Oh, but again, okay. that I'm presenting <laughs> that as a possibility. But again, the my sources 
I didn't ha I didn't have the sources for that that I liked, so I yeah. kind of just stuck it in this little. Um, I'm telling you about it because completion's sake here. Mm -hmm. Another option I saw was William Harvey, who is Southampton's stepdad. Um, there's also William Houghton or Hutton or I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is a contemporary playwright uh, of the period, so maybe he he is a possibility as well. Uh, William Hart, his nephew and sole male inheritor, which is interesting. Uh, it's possible, but I don't really see that as being the case. Uh, and the last one of our of our poor attestation is probably the most interesting of them, and that's Willie Hughes, who is and the, and the basis of this is based on some puns in the actual like sonnets themselves that are could be possibly puns on this name which oh. i am not well versed in this uh, material enough to be able to tell you what those puns are unfortunately um but what's interesting about this is this is the basis for um a work by oscar wilde called the portrait of mr wh where he kind of goes off on his little thought experiment if you will as to who wh is and all this um, and he also has some writings in a publication of the time called the Athenaeum, or Athenaeum, um, which is a journal, an academic journal of the period. Those are those are our, our poor attestations, our poor poorly sourced um, figures that are present, but we're not going to talk about. But there, you can look into it, and and if you find evidence that proves you're on, please just just let me know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that would own because people have been trying to figure this shit out for uh, 404 years. So <laughs> good luck. If it's you, you're famous, and if it's not, uh, I mean, yeah, you're with everyone else. Um, yeah. All right, so let's hear can... about the two that like were. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about our our our, our most likely. Um, yeah. our most likely ones. Uh, first and foremost is William Herbert, who is again the third Earl of Pembroke. And I'm gonna kind of give you the the pros and cons, or the the for and against it, as as it were. Um, so in favor of it is first off, the first folio is dedicated to William Herbert and his brother. Uh, you, the first the folio, first, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. The first folio are is a collection of his early plays. Um, it's a bunch of them, like a whole bunch, like a, like a 30 or so. Okay. And they are explicitly dedicated to him and his brother. And this, and this theory that he is WH comes from a James Bowden in 1837. And he's basing this on evidence that Pembroke was urged to wed the granddaughter of Henry Carey, who is the patron of Shakespeare's company. And that the, uh, that Pembroke refused this this kind of uh not arranged marriage but urged marriage uh for a number of reasons and and there's some thought that the um so-called procreation sonnets yes they're literally called the procreation sonnets or wow. the breeding or, or, or the breeding <laughs> sonnets is the other name for them okay. uh, which is just amazing um and there's some kind of thought that he might be the the fair youth based on the fact that you know shakespeare is urging him to go breed and be fruitful and multiply um blah 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 blah, blah. so the procreation sonnets really are like uh you need to go make babies making babies uh, it's important yeah but what's interesting is like it's this isn't just presented as you know you should make babies for the sake of making babies and all that but 
it's actually presented in the way that you are so beautiful and lovely and gorgeous. It would be a shame for you to not pass on your genes because you would rob the world of your beauty. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Just for one example. Also, I'd be really impressed if Shakespeare was talking about how important it is to pass on your genes. I'm just... Yeah. The, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be very impressive. Way ahead of his time. Yeah. <laughs> These, this is a progression. These sonnets are a progression. We, I, we should look at them as such, I think, personally, that's me based on my interpretations of the text and what I saw. Um, a progression of what? We, we think that these individual little sections of the sonnets are kind of written from start to finish, at least from, from what I saw. And But when I say that, I mean that all of the fair youth stuff is written like sequentially. Like we don't think these are renumbered after the fact. We think sonnet oh. one was written before sonnet 18, as it were, okay, or whatever. Okay. Again, based on what I saw, I could be yeah. wrong. Um, that blanket disclaimer, I could be wrong about any of this. Um, <laughs> yes, always, please. We're, so. You know, if you really want to know more, I don't know, do your own research <laughs> or like go to your local university and see if they have an actual Shakespeare scholar. We're, we're not. Yes. We only or, have so much time. <laughs> or head down to your local library. I'm giving yeah. you a thumbs up. Yeah, do it. Uh, like it's the 90s. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of like the main reasons why William Herbert is a candidate here. However, there is some kind of evidence against him being as such, or if he is that it was not a homoerotic relationship, or at least not exclusively so. Um, I mean, you didn't provide anything like there wasn't anything in the arguments for that it was definitely a homoerotic relationship, right? Like, do we have correct? Yeah, okay. <laughs> just, just making sure. I mean, I totally want to buy into it, but also... Yeah. We, you know me, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for evidence. As, as you absolutely should be. <laughs> and uh, and again, like a lot of this is, is like conjecture and interpretation, and we don't have anything that explicitly... This is a spoiler, sorry, 30 minutes in. There is nothing <laughs> in any of the text or any of my evidence that explicitly points to anything definitive here. Um, but this theory does exist. It has existed for multiple centuries at this point. So we here, here's what I could find. And here's why we think. Also, it, it if be. Oscar Wilde was writing about him, like, I feel like that by itself is a little bit of yeah. evidence there. Like Oscar Wilde was like, oh, I'm going to write about yeah. this guy. Like, hmm. <laughs> it it has been a big enough controversy that C.S. Lewis commented on it. Oh, C.S. So, Lewis. Okay. Oh, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, now, as for the reasons why we should be kind of cautious as to kind of making this interpretation and everything like that, um, pl please note that Pembroke was married with two kids. Um, okay. Mind you, after this, which happened after uh, Shakespeare died. Um, both of those oh. kids did die in infancy. However, we do also know that there are at least two known affairs and three illegitimate children that he also had. The first is one Mary Fitton in 1601, who, again, I'm not going to delve too deep in the details. There is some pretty good uh, material on her. So go ahead and, you know, again, you're encouraged to Google these names. Um, yeah. So his first kid is born with Mary Fitton in 1601. And there, and there is some uh, possibility that she might be the dark lady in the sonnets, which is the section that happens after the fair youth section. Oh. Um, yeah. 
His second affair is with Mary Roth, with whom he has two kids. I'm sorry. Um, I just want to inter interject again that my cat is is snoring. So if she says, I I, I can't. Yeah, she's snoring. So if you hear a weird little wheezy snoring noise, that's yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. continue. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Mary Roth is his first cousin. Um. Oh boy. Yikes. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gotta uh, keep the the genes pure, right? Like, yes. Uh, well, I, like I understand, pre modern ideas of consanguinity are, are much different than our current ones. But also, um, the Hopsburgs exist. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Big yikes there. Um, so that's that's our first candidate. And again, there's nothing definitive we can point to to say for sure that he is. So um, did the they, were they, were they like known to be friends or they met each other a bunch in London or like and well, anything? He, to, to an extent, he is well known for being one of Shakespeare's bigger patrons, along with, again, this evidence that he may have been uh, supposed to wed the um, main patron of Shakespeare's company, who was like a Lord Chamberlain or something like that of, okay. of like Queen Elizabeth's <laughs> court. Um, God, feudalism fucking sucks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Court politics is the worst. Um, sorry. But yeah, um, that's kind of our main tie-in is that they were patron clients. Um, they were friends. And there was some kind of... There, there's probably some correspondence and some mentions of him. But beyond that, it's kind of a, a deduction. Okay. Uh, more than anything else. Uh, let's move on to the second candidate, the Henry Rossley, the uh, Earl of Southampton. Um, and this so one has a... Okay. How do we get from Mr. W.H. to Henry Rossley? Um, so this one, it's a, I'm very glad you asked. <laughs> so there is a possibility that the initials were swapped. Um, and they were swapped in order to hide this relationship. Uh, okay. <laughs> because um, Henry Rossley is of course nobility just like William Herbert was. So why that would be hidden the other one wouldn't, I don't know. But um, you know. It's whoa. a theory. It's whoa. there. It's there. It's there. These are again <laughs> the ma- these these are the two candidates for whom I saw the most uh evidence. Okay. Um and it's fairly shaky evidence. I'm not gonna lie to you, but this is what I found. Um, but for Henry Rossley to be the candidate, the initials could have been switched, which is entirely likely if you want to hide someone's identity. Um, as for him being the candidate, there's a couple of other pos, like another couple of, of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Sources of evidence, I guess, that kind of point to him as such. Uh, mainly that there are two bigger poems that are dedicated to him explicitly, uh, specifically Venus and Adonis and The Rape of Lucretia. Or the crease, one of the two. Um, the first one is just a very generic dedication. It's just like, oh, to to my lord, I I am your humble servant. Blah blah blah. It wasn't even worth writing down. It was so fucking cookie cutter. <laughs> okay. Um, but the other one, it, it raised my eyebrows when I read it. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm just gonna read it to you in full because it's pr- fairly short. Okay. <clears throat> um, the dedication goes: the love I dedicate to your lordship is without end. Whereof this pamphlet, without beginning, is but its superfluous moiety, the warrant I have of your honorable disposition, not the worth of my untutored lines, makes it assured of acceptance. What I have done is yours. What I have to do is yours. 
being part in all I have, devoted yours. Were my worth greater, my duty would show greater. Meantime, as it is, it is bound to your lordship, to whom I wish long life, still lengthened with all happiness. End quote. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty dramatic. Yeah, that it is. It is. It is pretty <laughs> dramatic. Um, it's like, this is very clearly not just somebody telling their, their employer, thanks for the paycheck schmuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, there's, also there's like... actual, like, there's like real affection here, like erotic or not, there is like genuine affection in these words. And it's very obvious. I mean, you would be genuinely affectionate for the, you know, person that's paying your bills though, right? Like, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, there's no eviction protection in, in, in this year. It's like, <laughs> if you don't pay your bills, you go to fucking prison. <laughs> or the street, at best. So, like, there is genuine affection and appreciation, obviously. But, I mean, this is, like, way over the top, I think. Like, Is it? Okay, all right. I, I, for, for a very simple dedication to someone who just is paying the bills, as it were, I think this is a little bit more than we should see. Because he also did, like, commission and pay for Venus and Adonis, and it is very generic and nondescript in terms of its language i mean there is certainly like oh all that you know oh i i i am your humble servant and all that other stuff all the usual ingratiation one does to nobility in this period but this is uh it's a lot further than most typical dedications i've seen oh okay all right all right so was the 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 dedication that was pretty lackluster, was that one written before or after this very impassioned dedication? Before. Oh, okay. Yes. So it could be that they grew closer in in the interim? Yeah, that is definitely a possibility. And this connection is, again, not a new one. This goes back to a, a, a scholar named Nathan Drake back in 1817. Hello, Doc. So, Hello, Doc. Oh my god. I know. I know. I don't Hello, know why. Luna. She's like thrilled about talking about Shakespeare. She wants to be all up in it. She has her own she, opinions about She She is a lover of the arts. <laughs> yeah. And I'm no, very glad. And she she's like, oh my God, read me a sonnet. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, very soon. Very yeah. soon. Oh, okay. All right. Unfortunately. All right. Please uh, continue. Now, there are some points against. So if, you know, WH is the fair youth and is spoken of as like to be like you know a youthful and all this it would be very um it would be very uncommon i guess in in this period to do so um because southampton is in his 30s when the sonnets are actually written ah okay and yes there is like oh boy that girl sure is pretty and she's like you know in her 30s um but again you don't really see this kind of language being used to someone in their 30s in this period because that's for a lot of folks middle age if not worse yeah um, you're you're clearly about to die why why yeah. even yeah you're on your last um, leg the other strike against is that he was married to one elizabeth vernon for 22 years and they had four kids together okay and I the mean, other thing is all this quote-unquote evidence of like people having kids i'm like do you know how many gay people have children like i it's yeah that doesn't tell me anything <laughs> See, and, and that i think that is the most frustrating part of all of this the the evidence for and again the evidence against this is just as inconclusive and rickety and shoddy as the evidence for <laughs> uh it is hyper frustrating to try and suss this out when like like for instance the other issue we have is that there are zero other sources to exist 
any relationship between the two of them. We don't have letters. Oh. We don't have correspondence. The closest thing we have is um, a contemporary playwright saying that um, there was a change of hands of money that that Pembroke paid Shakespeare a thousand pounds for, I think, a piece of land. Um, but that was later turned out to possibly have been a forgery or just like very um, hard to make authentic, to prove as being authentic, rather. The lack of letters is so weird because I really think of like letters as one of the main sources of primary evidence for things that happened, you know, like 500 years ago. Like that's yeah. letters are... I mean, the main example I'm thinking of is like uh, John Adams and his wife writing back and oh. forth. And that's how we know oh, so Lord, much about yes. their lives. So it's it sucks that we don't yeah. have these letters. Uh, it would be real nice. Mm -hmm. But apparently he just I don't know. I don't know why we don't have them, but maybe he just spent all his time literally writing sonnets. And he was like, "Ooh, no time for letters. Sorry, got to write another sonnet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know, which, which is possible. But, you know, hey. So yeah, those those are our two main candidates that we have to look at, and both of them are pretty, pretty shaky. And this, of course, is operating on the very, as you can tell, poorly um, connected idea that WH and the fair youth are the same person. So even if, even if they are the same person, or even, like, even if that is the nature of their relationship, this in and of itself may not be evidence because they might be entirely different fucking people. <laughs> okay, well... Which just owns oh, so hard. Um, yeah. Okay. So that being said, the last little thing, the non-literary thing I want to point to that kind of brings us into um, question is the fact that Shakespeare is buried by himself. Oh. Now, that's not to say that like his wife is buried next to him at, at the uh, the Holy Trinity Church in Stanford. But uh, Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> Stratford. <laughs> uh, Stratford brain i'm sorry <laughs> no they um, exhumed his corpse moved it to california <laughs> yeah actually no they explicitly did not uh exhume his corpse at any point in time because he put a curse on his tomb to anyone who dared do so oh my god that's wonderful i love it um and of course he did it in rhyme because of course he did it goes um i'm gonna just give i'm just gonna give you the modernized uh, uh version because yeah okay uh, good friend for jesus sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. Wow, is that um, like on his tombstone? Yes, it is literally on his on his tombstone. <laughs> I love um, it. And while this is a pretty common thing in this period to just be like, "Hey, don't don't throw my bones away," because resurrection ideology and all this other stuff, uh, all this other theological fun stuff that we're not going to be talking about today. Um, but I did see one kind of postulation that was, again, not backed up on anything concrete, that he may have said that in order to keep her from being buried in the grave with him, which also was uh, not oh. uncommon in this period. Hmm. Um, the other thing is that in his will, he is he gives in his will to his wife exactly one thing, um, and that's the second best bed in the house. <laughs> uh, so who gets the first best bed? Um, we don't know. Oh. So, that, and this this in and of itself is not actually like again concrete and indicative of anything necessarily because in in 
the time period the the best bed i i saw at least written that the best bed was reserved for guests and the second best bed was the marital bed oh. so he may have been saying you know oh i'm giving to you the bed on upon which we consummated our marriage and had our kids and all this other stuff so it may have actually been a very touching donation um, I've also seen okay. some evidence that it was extremely common and even in some cases legally mandated that the widow gets one third of the estate no matter what. So he may not have had to will her anything else because it would have been in, codified in the law already at that point to do so. Well, also, didn't um, you say that she was the one with money anyway? So that's the other thing. Yeah, she may not have needed anything. They may yeah. have worked something out in advance. It may, may have had like a not like a prenup, but like maybe like a verbal agreement or something that he held to um but also it, it again contrary to this his will was not made until like about like a week before he died on his deathbed and he her addition to the will was very last minute so he may have actually thought so little of her or had been so estranged from her that he was just like oh yeah i guess i should give her something huh uh here you can have the bed hmm. yeah so again nothing conclusive <laughs> Of course. It's, yeah. It's so infuriating. Seems to be um, the so, yeah. so that is all our extra textual crap. Let's actually look into the sonnets real quick. I'm going right. to say real quick. And I mean real quick because, again, no one wants to sit here and hear me do <laughs> prosody for another hour. Yeah. So the four main sonnets I want to point to, and there are, of course, more than four sonnets, as we discussed, but the main four I want to look at are 15, 18, 20, and 52. Let's just look at the language in, in whole. And this is sonnet 15. Yes, and and this is again from those earlier kind of breeding sonnets, which is why you get these kind of talks about like time and mm -hmm. and worry about that. You, All right, you so get... what's this bit about uh, men as plants increase? Yeah, so I think I think what's going on there, and I'm gonna kind of look at it from like the outsider's non literary scholar perspective here. Um, but I think what's going on here is we are seeing a kind of allusion to be fruitful and multiply um oh yeah 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 I, and of I course plants bear fruit yeah it's really um this is kind of just like the beginning of of this kind of, of of ramp up in language as it were in terms of affection this is kind of where it starts as far as i could tell uh sonnet 18 sonnet 18 is a very famous sonnet um it is the shall i compare thee to a summer's day Mm, yes, that one yeah oh, i'm not gonna go through all of that um but i do want to point out a couple things here it's again very well known but this one is again also addressed to the fair youth by address to the like does it say because it's not in the poem does it say at the beginning to fair youth or like that i'm on that one i'm unsure of like the it's it's kind of just understood from the academic sources as it were that this chunk of poems is addressed to a character called the fair youth oh, okay, okay um and the fair youth is being told shall i compare thee to a summer's day you're more lovely and more temperate da -da 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 -da. and he's just saying like you are very good looking and everything it's extremely <laughs> affectionate and i don't want to say quite erotic because we have evidence of shakespeare's erotic works in the the dark lady poems as it were and they're far more explicit i'm i'm seeing also just in the 15 and 18 so like the end of 15 is like time takes from you i engraft you new and then in the sonnet 18 he says you know so long lives this and gives life to thee like it feels like a very like uh god 
I don't I don't know how to say it in a a beautiful Shakespearean way, but like he's mm-hmm. he, it's a very renewal kind of theme going on of like time takes stuff from you and you know the seasons take stuff from you but i engraft you new or you know my sonnet gives life to you yeah like in 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 both of these he's kind of saying that like i love you so much that i am going to make sure you're immortalized Mm -hmm. in my verse um which is that you know the conceit of this innocent stay sets you most rich and beautiful for my sight where youthful time debate will decay to change your day of youth to solid night again very flowery language i am not a poet so it's a little bit much for me to unpack (laughs) i'm not gonna lie to you but there is definitely kind of that idea there 18 is where we start to get away from the 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 breeding sonnets as it were into the more kind of affectionate ones again that compare these to a, a, a summer day and all that and again, th- this is pretty much like almost unanimously understood to be addressed to a male. Uh, the question is the nature of the relationship between the two and what sort of affection is being given here. And, and we'll kind of touch on that at the very end. Why is it unanimously understood to be addressed to a, a guy like it? I mean, <laughs> there's no <laughs> there are he's and him's, but they're not necessarily referring to whoever the poem is for. God, I was afraid you were going to ask this. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Um, so this this is just kind of based on the analyses I saw. Um, this is based on what the Wikipedia articles, and I did go into the sources, so I'm mm-hmm, not just going mm-hmm. off of, like, random lines that are no citations needed. In fact, there's several things I left out because it needed citations. Yeah. But this one is pretty commonly understood by most people most Shakespearean scholars to be addressed to a to a to a man okay okay um, so there is yes. we, yeah you you don't have the exact whatever they say about it but there's right yeah Shakespearean academics who are like oh yeah definitely to a man definitely yes. and, he's and, talking about how I, gorgeous I, the dude is I will be including some of my uh, or not some but I will be including my sources that do say this and support this theory in the show notes so I'm not just you know talking out of my ass I promise <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you are. I just, you know, yeah, just. Yeah, I know. I, I am. I am always happy and, and open to tell you when I am um, telling you what's conjecture and what I actually have sources for. Right. Um, <laughs> let's actually move on to Sonnet 20. And this one is the one that really is kind of making us think that there may be something to Shakespeare's bisexuality. Uh, this is the one that really is pointed to as like the big red flag, as it were. And this one I am going to actually read in whole. I believe you um, mean rainbow flag? What a fucking right. red, yes, flag. red flag. Well, actually, no, it's actually a blue, purple and pink. Oh, but, you're right. You know. You're right. You know what? The rainbow flag is for everyone. So yes, <laughs> it's, it's whatever sort of of of. Um, flag, whatever color flag you'd like in this case. Uh, this one I am going to read in full just because it's kind of our main um, source, our, our main point of inference, as it were. So here you go. <clears throat> A woman's face with nature's own hand painted. Hast thou the master mistress of my passion? A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change as is false women's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false and rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a-doting. And by addition, me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose, 
nothing. But since she pricked thee out for woman's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. Hmm, okay. All right, now it's time for my conjecture. I'm sorry. (laughs) There is no heterosexual explanation for this. (laughs) I don't have a citation for that, but there is no heterosexual explanation for this. I mean, I... Yeah, I see. Yeah, this is very explicitly addressed to a man or at least to a male youth. Again, is this romantic? Is this erotic? Uh, that that that's tough to say. Um, I and don't this, know. this is which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. That's pretty. And nature yeah. fell a doting. Um, hmm, that's and and let's let's also take a moment to appreciate this this beautiful pun there in, in the couplet at the end. She pricked the out for yeah. cute woman's pleasure. Yep. that is a pun. He does mean that prick here. We think, <laughs> of course, um, he does. It's Shakespeare. <laughs> um, and that's the thing here. There are a lot of double entendres here in these lines. And of course, I'm not nearly well versed enough in them. Uh, well versed. Sorry. Oh no. Um, it's my right. Uh, <laughs> I'm not well versed enough in 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 these double entendres and puns and everything like that um, to tell you what they are. But I will tell you they exist. Um, but that's as much as I can do. Apologies. Um, but this one it, it raises a lot of questions. Just just like at first glance, looking at it. Um, again, that article I mentioned earlier, there is an entire article of just how to teach this sonnet to a classroom and it's, it's a ride. Please read it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I can see there's, there is a lot that you could unpack here for sure. Yes. But even like you said, just at like a quick read, you're like, hmm, yeah, no, this is definitely, yep, yep, pretty, pretty gay. Um, so let's look at this last one. Okay. Uh, sonnet 52. I feel like this is one that, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, simile in here that I can't possibly. I, I'm i inclined to agree with that. But there is one thing in here that I can point out that is very interesting for us. Okay. And we can make a quick comparison to Sonnet 20. In Sonnet 20, he's addressing the youth as, you know, hast thou the master mistress of my passion and, and all this, um, since she pricked thee out for woman's pleasure, thy love, right? Yeah. But in 52, he's using you and your. Okay. And what, what does that mean in the parlance of the time? In the parlance of the time. So much like in, in modern romance languages, we have a formal and a familiar you. Mm, okay. Uh, also in many other languages as well. Like this is the difference between German du and Z or, you know. Vu and tu. Uh, vu and tu, yeah. Yes. Or, or, or tu et voi in Italian. Like we have all kinds of different parallels like that, which we used to have in English, which we lost because, I, because we can't have nice things in the English language. I don't have silent vowels. I don't think a formal tense is a nice thing. I don't like it. It's it's fun. It's (laughs) fun. I'm sorry. I'm a grammar nerd. I think it's fun. Um, So yeah, this is kind of interesting here. So if if you keep that in mind, if you see that he's using this formal you as opposed to the more formal and I guess remote the thou, thy, whatever, Mm -hmm. this kind of changes the way this kind of poem it's perceived now this isn't him talking to somebody giving him advice telling him you know oh yes giving them platitudes or whatever he is telling someone with whom he has an intimate relationship on some level all of these metaphors and things and that kind of gives us um 
I mean, it raises some questions, doesn't it? Yeah, sure, sure. I'll, I, I will buy into yeah. that. Um, but unfortunately, um, this episode is getting very long, and <laughs> that is all I have. Okay. So I mean, I think I, that's plenty. So I, I think our conclusion, uh, much like it was with Caesar, is, uh, oh. <laughs> here's, here's some evidence. Please decide for yourself. I don't know. Yes. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that there is certainly more to be said about these sonnets, and I would be interested as I'm sure other people are to like dig in more to your, your cited sources and, and see, yes. because I, I think, yes, I think someone who can read sonnets better than me <laughs> would, would have a lot of justification and many things to say. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch real fast before we quit that there are some instances in these sonnets that I've pointed out specifically in uh, this last one in 52, um, it has something interesting in the way the meter goes. It has something called a feminine ending, which is the he's adding an extra syllable at the end of this verse, which in iambic pentameter would not normally be there. Um, but I don't I don't know enough about again about prosody or anything like that to be able to tell you the significance of that, whether this is just nomenclature for this type of convention or if there is a reason that he's using feminine endings in this meter i'm telling you it exists but that's all i can tell you because that's all i know okay uh so so there you go there's something for you to agonize on on wikipedia <laughs> in your favorite library of choice for the next however long this holds your attention <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> anyway um so yeah was was shakespeare bisexual maybe maybe not do we know with whom? No. Do we know who he's even talking to in, the, in these sonnets? No clue. Do we even know who these are for? No idea. But scholars do believe that it's a man. So there's mm. there's definitely that. Um, possibly. Um, <laughs> this is, of course, this is, of course, even possible because this is based on the assumption that these are autobiographical sonnets and not him um, doing a character, in which case all of this is pointless. Right. Yeah. And that's that is the other thing that you could you could say is that like, well, you know, just because someone writes a poem doesn't mean it's expressing their feelings. They could be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so so based on my evidence, I don't I can't say conclusively one way or the other. Uh, based on my own personal interpretation <laughs> and feelings on the matter, God, I hope so. Based on how I want to believe, yeah, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's that's the show. All right, uh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or you know any wonderful um, supplementary research that you have. Uh, if you have any sources, please, God, send them to me. Um, and by all means, uh, check out our show notes that will have all of the citations, such as they are. Um, and yeah, so that is it. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, we will see you for the next one or on the next one or make that work grammatically for you. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> right. Uh, bye. Okay.